echte ervaring. En nu, ladies en gentlemen, your attention, please. Big decisions have even bigger consequences in the world of marketing leadership, where data informs everything, second chances are rare, and ROI is no longer the only metric that matters. Please join us as we go inside the funnel. Welcome to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Tamby, and myself, Nasser Salul. And today, let's kick off by talking about hype cycles. Ooh. Jenna, are, are we are we in a hype cycle, Jenna? <laughs> is that is that the motorcycles that they ride in Tron? Because if, if yes, I will speak about that at length. <laughs> Much as I would love to talk about Tron, which is one of my favorite movies, um, I'm going to ask a grown-up that question. All right. <laughs> So, so Dan, are, are we? <laughs> it's not often when compared to Jenna, I'm the grown up. I know. Yeah, I'm that's a sure. strange circumstance. Yeah, I know, right? What the mm -hmm. hell? Welcome to Weird World. So, yeah, yeah. so Dan, are we in a hype cycle? Man. So obviously, we're talking about AI again. Um, there's a lot going on uh, since our last conversation on this. I think we're all enjoying a beautiful view from you know the peak of inflated expectations at the moment. Um, I would challenge anybody to recall a business conversation that they've had in the last few months uh, where AI hasn't come up directly or tangentially in some way. It's unbelievable uh, the amount of discussion, implications, and this, we're going to dive into a bunch of that today, I know, as we sort of follow up on this topic. Um, my the, the big thing that I'm wondering is is this going to buck the trend of a typical hype cycle? Like, are we on the brink of this trough of disillusionment, which is the next phase, right? Or is there something, are we going to hold out and like get into real productivity from this point or not? So generally speaking, I think a good sign of a, of a hype cycle is when you start seeing applications with questionable utility, mm -hmm. uh, but they make news because they're using the thing, right? Yeah. And yeah. and I saw a thing the other day, an article. So the fact that this made this was an article that was published tells you everything that you need to know about where we are in this cycle. But it was a an AI powered monocle that you wear <laughs> to wait what? No, no, this is true. <laughs> it's an AI powered monocle no no not to make you sound smart because at least you would have looked smart in that case no no it was to help your flirting game really mm. so the simple fact that if you need a monocle to help your flirting game your game is <laughs> weak weak at best no i don't know put a monocle put a monocle on anybody and aren't you a little bit more intrigued than you were before <laughs> Only if your name is Sir Charles Bottom Toothington, perhaps. Yes, yes quite. Yes, wow. yes. But no, yes. this is this is a real thing. This is a real thing. So, I, I you know, you ask, you bring up the good point, Dan. Is this going to buck the trend? Because remember, this isn't the first hype cycle we go through with mm -hmm. AI. The, mm -hmm. the first time happened a few years ago, and we've been talking about the subject quite a bit. In fact, our last podcast was on this mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. on the subject. But I think what's different this time is a key word, and that's commercialization. Yeah, There's actual commercialization happening with AI right now that wasn't the case the last time we went through this cycle. Um, but why don't, we, why don't we kind of start there? Because I think we're talking about, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. Jenna, what, what's happened since the last time we spoke? 
Well, what's happened since the last time we spoke is that so chat GPT 3.5 came out at the end of November 2022. Then um, 4 came out, which is a premium paid for product. But what really happened in, in my very solipsistic media centered world is that uh, Microsoft added chat functionality to the Bing search engine. And then most recently, uh, Google announced BARD or search generative experiences fueled by BARD, which is the same exact thing on the Google search engine. And so mm-hmm. it really was the Bing announcement, I think, that caused this furor that we're in around AI today. Mm-hmm. So you use the word solipsistic, which if nothing else is the absolute monocle of a word. Yeah, and buddy. I take back everything that I said <laughs> because frankly, frankly, trousers on that she thing. put a monocle on that thing. <laughs> and, and frankly, I'm, I'm just a little bit more attracted all of a sudden. There it's it really is. Yeah, it's See? unbelievable. It's See? bizarre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, on top of that, Jenna, the, and again, that we're not here to, to re-prosecute all the news that is coming out almost daily, but the major shift with Google's, you know, playing catch up for the first time, really feeling like they were in a defensive position sure. in this space and the catch up and the false start with Bard. And but the recent announcement with Palm 2 and the future Gemini model, which could literally be, it could reignite this thing all over again with its purported capabilities and everybody's waiting around to see what's, what that's going to do. Um, but yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, just the rate of development and 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 news like w- newsworthy information that's coming out daily. Um, to your point, Nasser, on commercialization, uh, there is a lot of that meme yesterday that we were sharing about. You know, AI is the big thing that the mid market VC world is just going crazy for right now. They can't get enough, and anything with a .dot AI extension is getting all kinds of press, all kinds of funding. Um, that is again a good hallmark of a of a hype cycle as we've seen before with cannabis or crypto or you name it, right? Um, but again, I mean, the big difference here, I think, just from a personal anecdote, is I'm spending money on .AI stuff, tools and utilities today. Like I'm in subscribed as a paid premium subscriber to a variety of different tools. One for research and just interest of my own personally, but I'm really getting some utility out of some of this stuff too as I go about my day to day, you know? I, I was reviewing uh, your expense form for buildmeagirlfriend.ai. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that, Dan. Let's, lest we not forget that. that, yeah, you should ask your wife about that. Um, you are also an early investor in crypto, so it's not like this is an unusual behavior for you though, Dan, right? Right, like, for sure. I get that's that's reasonable, but I am learning a lot about what really is going on behind the sure. scenes. And the truth is there's two or three big machines in the background that are backending a lot of all of these platforms. And there's some very clever, very sophisticated development layers going on top. And there are some very thin, thinly veiled attempts to add value to something that is already good enough. So I think as we sort the wheat from the chaff here, we're seeing a bit of a bifurcation in that space. And it's going to be interesting to see who rises and emerges from that. Absolutely. So given all of the noise around the subject, Jenna, on the front end, what have our clients been saying or asking about this topic? There is a little bit of panic uh, in the things that they're asking. And they tend to be questions like, okay, how are we using this right now today? How are we using AI is actually the primary question. 
And I have to do a little bit of like a history lesson and say, well, friend, we have been using machine learning, which is a subset of AI for many, many, many years. So we have been using AI for a very long time. How we are using this new generative AI that's in the news is a different uh, question entirely. So it, it comes down to primarily, how are we using it right now? Because my boss is asking me that question and I don't necessarily know the answer. Um, how should I be using it? Subset to that, should I be scared of it? Because is it going to take my job? Is it going to take your job? Um, and then thirdly, hey, so now the AI exists, you guys are cheap, right? <laughs> is also a question that is, uh, it's not, it's not been blatantly asked in that way, but it's kind of asking around like, so we use it for efficiencies, right? What, where do we get those efficiencies from? So those are kind of the top line questions today. And I think as more people nerd out on this topic in the ways that we are here, I think the questions will become a lot different, right? It'll be much yeah. more about utility and, and being strategic and how you deploy it better. I think we're at a at one of those moments where we have a tool set that's come out that is a huge leveler um, of investments and so on. So, you know, a, a big question that, that I see out there is how do I differentiate in an environment where everyone has access to the same tools, right? Like how, how am I adding value in this conversation, either as a brand or as an agency or, or what have you? So maybe... Dan, like, what are what are the kinds of implications that we need to consider externally and internally, um, given that context and given that conversation? I think uh, back to the <clears throat> the point I made a moment ago about you know adding thinly veiled utility versus real meaningful um, practical stuff that that makes a difference. Um, we'll talk about it. A little later in the show here, but with you know the whole thing about control and governance and security, uh, really critically important um, ethics about the origin of some of the source material. We touched on that last time. That continues to be a topic that needs to be discussed. So I think businesses that are understanding, you know, that it's impacting every industry we can imagine. There is. Tremendous utility, as we'll talk about with you know the spectrums of that utility and how we can really capitalize it, capitalize on it. Excuse me, um, but I do think all the while people have to be really thinking about the the opportunities for misuse and uh, and and the security implications that come along with this, um, and in the rush to gain an advantage, being ever mindful of the consequences of that as as they move forward. Jenna, anything to build on that? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it is changing the expectations of, of what should be done. And it's changing, you, you said it yourself, it's a leveler, right? So theoretically, every single person that understands how to use these AI platforms should be able to do the same output. But that is actually not true at all, frankly. Um, and I think, I think that is one of the key elements of how our role as an agency is evolving and changing with this as well, because we have multiple clients uh, with multiple different use cases, business needs, objectives, et cetera. And so we really, yes, we have to use AI for efficiency, of course, but we also have to bring innovation and allow for more strategic thinking for how our clients' businesses work. Uh, and I think actually that's one of the 
best things about it. Do we get more efficiency out of AI as an agency partner? Yes, we do. Then what do we do with it? We don't just simply cut costs and say, oh, that's good. We did it cheaper, faster, whatever. We say, Mm -hmm. okay, these things that used to be very, very mundane and tedious and repetitive, we now have this much more time to be innovative for you in your business. And so it's, it's on us to understand all these different platforms, to understand prompt engineering and how you get the best output out of it. Because even though it is a leveler, it is not a leveler if you don't understand the inputs to get the best outputs. Yeah, like any, that, I'm glad you said prompt engineering because I was about to say that. And I, you know, I, I've been in this deep every single day. And I'm so much better at using these tools now compared to a lot of people that I come across. People in my personal circles, as we talking about work and industry, and I'm introducing this stuff to them. They may not have heard of it. And then they get busy on it, and the next day they'll send me a text and say, oh, Dan, look what I did here. And it's just like these relatively facile uses of this tool. And after you gain experience and knowledge and know how it works and are able to get the best out of it, we've, we've seen people in our research spend more time trying to tweak and massage the output of these language models to get a usable mm-hmm. result than they would have taken to just write the damn thing in the sure. first place. Sure. So there's this false efficiency happening with people that haven't armed themselves with the right training or experience or the tools and layers to help them make these things really productive. And I think we're going to see a lot of people become a little disenfranchised. Oh, I tried, but it didn't work for me. And I mm-hmm. went down this path and it, it was just giving me nonsense. And it's, very little to do with the platforms and the engines and the models behind the scenes and much more to do with their inexperience of understanding how they how to use them. So Jenna, you brought up the subject of agencies, right? What is the role of an agency in this moment? Um, and it's something we've been putting a lot of thought behind. You know, we're, we're, a, we're a couple of months, it's been a couple of months since our last episode where we talked about the subject and kind of reintroduced it because, of course, we've been talking about it for a couple of years now. Um, And uh, we've been doing that in a very deliberate way. So I'm not sure entirely what a lot of other agencies are are saying about this. Um, Although, you know, you'll see some announcements coming out around, you know, we're now using it to scale out content. It's like, yes, of course you are, because that's, that's a good thing and that's a great capability, but it's a base level capability for want of a better word. I think there's there's other critical innovations that can happen. So we've been thinking a lot about this around, you know, very deliberately, what is our role uh, in this moment? And, and I'm sure a lot of other people are thinking about this, but I think it begins with this idea of what is the business impact for our clients? And I believe the business impact is about supporting them in in achieving and developing competitive advantage, right? Um, and then there's we do that by two different areas. So when we think about the responsibility of an agency in this moment, the way you do that is first external by understanding and mm-hmm. anticipating the changing landscape, but then it's internal. You need to leverage the platforms and tools and systems that um, AI uh, gives to you, but you need to build on that. You need to help innovate and differentiate because that's how you're going to help them stand out in an environment where everyone has access to the same tools. And then, and this I think is the critical piece, is execute. Execute in a highly skilled 
and brand safe and considered manner. And I think this idea of brand safety, you brought it up, Dan, mm -hmm. but brand safety, I believe in, in the conversations that I'm having um, with, with our, our partners, our the people that work here and beyond and with our clients and prospects, brand safety is the single biggest reason why people are anxious about stepping into this space. Mm -hmm. So I, I think made a, we've made a, a few statements there. there. Why, don't we, why don't we kind of dissect them a little bit? Let's start with the external factors. So what is changing as far as the search and media landscape and, and user behavior? Maybe you can start with that, Jenna, and talk yep. a little bit about that. Yeah, so I think, you know, this is a huge advancement in the way search works on its surface. Um, the interesting thing is that very quickly, as we played around with Bing and as we play around with the search generative experience in Google, we are seeing that the conversational aspects of search are actually still functioning very significantly in the same way that search used to. Because although um, although the the language model in the back end is understanding the words and understanding how to create a conversation with us, it is still pulling information from the search engine in the way that it always has. That's one good thing where we have such a wide um, swath of clients and experience that we can look at that and we can say, yeah, we understand that. I think I think. Though what is happening and what is very, very real from an external factor in search and media is as AI becomes more and more prevalent, the ad types and the campaigns and the measurement are currently very, very increasingly black box. So in Google, uh, there is a, a ad type called Performance Max, which many people are likely familiar with. And uh, as an attendee at Google Marketing Live, it is very obvious that Performance Max is kind of the way of the future, as are other types of, you know, invisible to the external user sort of uh, algorithmically driven, AI driven assets. Moreover, today, if you were to advertise in Bing search or Google ads, you do not have any ability to see any reporting about what was answer, answered versus by regular search versus um, chat-based uh, generative AI search. You do not have the ability to set separate campaigns or ad groups to go into those different types of search experiences. So you are in many ways ceding control. And I think that's where our agency expertise really comes in because we have used Performance Max, for example, since it was brand new saw it through its infancy when it was a terrible product, to be perfectly frank, and now we're using it quite successfully. And our, our benefit there is that we have the ability to understand how, in essence, these platforms work. And because we understand, in essence, how these platforms work, we can manipulate these things that to anybody else who just tries to go in and let the AI run them, our results are far superior. But what's interesting is that when you go to something like Google Marketing Live or you see these new releases, they feel very, very much designed for like an SMB type business. Sure they do. Right? So to your point, Nasser, mm -hmm. where AI becomes a leveler. Yes, it's a leveler for people who don't have this experience and this expertise. And when you do have the experience and the expertise, you can absolutely manipulate these things that otherwise are largely hidden behind the curtain to you. So Jenna, what would you recommend people do right now um, to kind of get either up to speed or to get ahead of this specific to search? Specific to search, you need to be 
A, using one of these experiences yourself. If you don't understand how the results are showing, if you don't understand what types of uh, answers, I guess, or, or discussions are going to be serviced to you via this uh, chat functionality in search, you're already considerably far behind. Because once you start to play around with that, you can see how it's pulling in kind of the ad assets, the organic search, you can understand that and you can understand where your gaps might be there. And additionally, if you haven't already previously tested something like Performance Max, get in there, test it now, understand what it does for your business, understand the levers of control that you have, because that is going to continue to be the way that these things progress, I believe. And, and I think this is important because, you know, you made this point about it being a big change. And we've gotten so used in search and media to kind of evolutionary feature creep, for want of a better word, right? Like this new feature, this new ad unit, and so on. And, and it, it's, it's felt very incremental and progressive. This is revolutionary mm-hmm. in terms of how we use search engines and, and media. And maybe, Dan, like build on that. And how do we see that potentially impacting user be- behavior as far as these platforms are concerned? Yeah, there's, I mean, think about the way you engage with the search engine today. You're, you know, you're at some point in a buying journey or a research journey and you're looking for information and you formulate a query that you think is going to be received well by a search engine. Uh, If you're one of us or you just type words into a browser, if you're a normal person, right? Um, And then you look at the results and you start to quickly start to evaluate. You summarize in your own mind the headlines and the the snippet text that gets... uh, reported back to you and then you'll make a selection and then you might hit the back button a few times. Think about like disintermediating that entire process and having the expectation is that you're going to do that first layer of research, formulate a base opinion on my behalf and then feed it back to me. Moreover, the more I use you for that, you being Bing or Google with their generative capabilities, the better you'll get at understanding what I care about and we'll have this sort of symbiotic relationship where I'm going to start giving you better clues and you'll give me better results and I'll shorten up that time-wasted journey in the middle. Well, guess what? That wasted time journey is where a lot of revenue gets generated, right? A lot of clicking and backing and clicking and backing is worth a lot of money. So what's going to happen to that money? Where is that money going to get put? And I think... To your point earlier, Jenna, about the exposure of paid media placements within the generative results right now is it's a black box and we don't know. That's a yet statement for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely going to shift because I think the value of these things is going to go up tremendously because we're going to take away a lot of the clicking and backing. I think um, as as soon as it becomes a paid option, don't forget on the back end of this, there's no tracking yet either. We have no right. idea from a visibility, impressions, click-throughs, conversions, which of those ad units was exposed in the generative block versus the regular uh, paid block. So that matters from an analytics point of view. We're going to be, they're not going to be able to charge for it unless they give you clues into tracking it. So now we're going to get all these new vectors of metrics that we need to be understanding and bringing in. Um, None of that addresses what's going on on the SEO side of the world, which I think is equally as important because now when we're in that research phase and you're getting your content surfaced, everybody listening to this and people that aren't should all expect your terribly tanking organic visitors over time metric is only going to get significantly worse starting three (laughs) months ago. So don't 
start screaming when that happens. You should expect that it's going to happen. Um, and understand where that traffic is going and put mechanisms in place to get your head around what's happening to your business from a search perspective at a macro level. From, Not, in terms of a new way of measuring and, and Completely new way of measuring. If, you, if you're still worried about organic visits, you're in the, on the wrong side of the conversation right now. It's not going to matter Come, coming up very soon. Um, everybody should, again, buy a ChatGPT plus account, 20 bucks a month. Go on, pick GPT-4 model with web browsing, and then watch what it does. You can actually see the exchange of information and the thinking that goes on. It's slower than generative results in Bing or uh, even in G or uh, the G, what's it called? SGE. Google. SGE, I don't say GRE, <laughs> SGE, excuse me. Um, that, it's very interesting how it will turn your query into, a, it'll, it'll turn your prompt or your question into a relevant query it thinks will help address it. It sure will go and fetch that information, sure clean it up, chain it back in, reformulate a new prompt that will ultimately submits to the language model to give you your final answer. So this idea of chaining events together, just like a human being would, do if they were doing it for real. It's fascinating to watch and it gives you real insight into how you need to be thinking about your content optimization and your search strategy overall to make sure you're appearing at that moment. So in terms of summarizing what you said as far as consumer behavior changing or user behavior changing, mm -hmm. it's moving from I need to research a service or product to research with me, then tell me where and how to buy it. Absolutely. That's a great way of saying it. It really does like an assistant, like a really highly educated person with no experience at all. Think of it like that. Like that's what you're doing. You're, you've got this, everyone has this highly, highly educated, sophisticated person that doesn't know a clue about anything until you tell it. A and child savant. It. A child savant, that's right. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah, I know, right? And everyone has it. And that's the democratized access to this technology. Like I said, in our last episode about what ChatGPT did and why it did it so well is it just made it available. You know, previously the AI thing has been going since the 50s and we've been on a real curve in the last decade as, and we've all been consuming it in one way or another, yeah. hidden behind a layer or an interface or a That's gadget. And it. now suddenly everyone had direct access to Jarvis in their freaking web browser and the world, the genie will never go back in that bottle. So now that's where I'm seeing like this like it's so important that everyone fully understands what the impact is going to be to their space directly and does what they can to get in front of it. Are we in a hype cycle? So let's talk about doing what they can to get in front of it. Let's pivot now from these external factors to the internal mm -hmm, factors, mm -hmm. right? So we're, we're trying to capture this moment. We know instinctively that this has to do with improving efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and and maybe Jenna, I'd like you to talk a little bit about that and, and the implications from a business perspective of what that means in terms of efficiency. Mm -hmm. um, and But beyond that, there's also innovation, right? There's the opportunity for those willing and capable of doing this to leverage this moment into innovating into new things. So can you talk a little bit about those two things, Jenna, please? Yeah. So from the efficiency angle, think through things like if you're an SEO person, you can and your client or you as a brand and you're the internal SEO person, your client happens to be a multi-thousand SKU product retailer, for example. In the past, you may have concatenated a 
meta description and title tag schema to make that faster and easier, but that's probably not the best way to do it. So most of the time you would have gone product by product, um, writing titles, metas, uh, manually in many instances for that. So doing things like that through a, a generative AI experience like ChatGPT, uh, it is smart enough if you, again, if you prompt it correctly, it is smart enough to understand the format that these things need to be put into. And so you can actually save, I don't know, 30% of the time on that particular type of task by using AI to do that. Uh, in the paid side, we're seeing a lot of tools come out in the platforms ex themselves, especially inside Google Ads, Performance Max, um, Google Merchant Center, that are really taking a lot of that same type of heavy lifting off of you. So in the past, even with uh, RSAs, responsive search ads, you would still have to think of a whole bunch of different titles, a whole bunch of different descriptions, and then you would feed those in and let the AI deliver the ad copy out of those. Now it's going to be as simple as putting in your URL and it will spin up those titles. It will spin up those mm -hmm. description lines for, for your RSAs. So it's really taking the most kind of tactical, mundane, repetitive work and speeding that up significantly. So those are, those are some of the easiest kind of ground level ways to get efficiency out of AI. So, so I think the, the key benefits, um, to summarize what you're saying, are far greater speed to market, right? Um, greater performance outcomes faster, being able to realize those gains way, way faster. Um, and I think these are critically important, you know, content production, content planning, all of those kinds of things in terms of getting to the market, getting in front of your clients, testing at greater speed and volume. Um, but they're, they're evolutionary in nature. And, and I, you know, when typically when you say the word, but everything, ignore everything before it, because really what you mean is the thing after it. I, that's not the case here, because I do truly believe that these are critically important things that, you know, major Holcos are getting headlines for mm -hmm. saying, hey, we can now do this thing using AI. Um, that's great. So can everybody so else. So can everybody are, else. They are truly evolutionary in nature, and you need to make sure you're doing these things. I think where things get, where there's opportunity for true differentiation and building long-term brand health, that's on the innovation side of things, because that's where it becomes revolutionary. So perhaps, Dan, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, um, for sure. Going faster is table stakes. It's not exciting anymore, right? And that's everybody is sort of isn't that crazy in the, in the span of like five months we're like eh, going faster yeah. or whatever Man, you should see how fast <laughs> i can write this first draft of this content right. piece it's like of course you can right right but that thing span of five months as we sit here today having this conversation i will tell you that we are working on probably three or four development projects that if somebody had walked into my office nine months ago and briefed me on them and said, here's what I want you to do, I would have said, you are freaking crazy. You're out of your mind, and that is not possible, and we're building them right now. So what we've been presented with is the, those, those efficiency and innovation things kind of intersect, right? So the efficiency goes from you know just faster to... Well, I can be efficient, which means I can do way more production for the same effort, right? So that's a function of efficiency as well. So we've got this kind of vertical, I guess, 
going back to a quadrant world, this vertical axis where the bottom we're just going quicker and cheaper. And at the top, we're doing like really industrial scale killer stuff. And then intersecting that across the middle is this innovation thing, which is on the left, it's work we were always doing. We're just doing it differently now. And on the right is this stuff that we just couldn't possibly have conceived of doing before. And where we're finding opportunities to say, hey, we've got what data assets do we have? What systems do we have? What do we do that is a bit different organizationally? And then how do we layer this technology on top of that to make something super horsepowered that is going to be really helpful for our clients that they're, that they're going to find some real material value in? And that's the exciting stuff that we're spending 80% of our time on at the moment. So let's let's talk about that. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that and, and give a specific use case or, or scenario because going back to... Um, the issues we talked about at the beginning of this episode, one of the things that really struck stuck out is this conversation around brand safety. So how can we ensure brand safety um, and while delivering speed to market? Talk about you know perhaps one of the things that you're working sure. on right now. <clears throat> one thing we found early on in this thing, which is still young, so just a few months back, is that saying, okay, everyone, go out and get a ChatGPT license and let's start putting it in a browser next to us and using it. It's amazing, but it was time consuming and other things started to emerge. Those tools in the wild, in an enterprise environment like ours, where we're trying to like coordinate a bunch of independent people who are highly creative and very, some of them very left brain, some of them very right, um, all very driven to do great work and want to get ahead, is putting some formality and reg, I don't like using the word regu regulation around it, but I'm going to use that word because that's kind of what we're saying here. We are acting on behalf of, we have agency over the voice of our clients. So we need to be extremely careful how we say and how we do things. Putting processes in place to make sure that people are not just acquiescing responsibility to these language models to do their work for them without it going through a formal vetting and review process. That's obviously something we can do just through implementing processes within the business. But how do we, how do we shortcut the path from giving someone access to the tool and getting usable product out of the end. How do we shortcut and guarantee that when someone uses these tools within our sort of domain, they are invoking the right taxonomy, the right language, the right brand voice, the right security principles that are required by our clients so that we know that the output is going to meet the needs as closely as possible, but also we can look our clients in the eye and tell them that, hey, we have all of these things covered off. Um, and that's led us to one of our projects. We're, we're building a intermediate layer where we can expose the language model capability to our internal teams and in some cases to our clients directly and know that when they use it through this behavioral profile that we've created, they are going through these gates of control that we've put in and not around them. And that gives us a tremendous quality output. It's unbelievable in the side-by-side -side tests that we've run. Our ability to get right to a usable thing very quickly is far greater than without it. But we know for sure if we're talking, you know, through the voice of that retailer that we're, we've got all of their brand safety guidelines in mind and we'll never step outside of them because you can't. You've got to speak through that profile. Um, we've also got an audit trail. So we can understand who's doing what, where. That's very important. This can be very expensive for those of you who haven't gone too deep down the rabbit hole. Um, and the bigger the models get and the more capable they are, the easier it is to spend money. 
um, that is something we can consider and keep a cap on as well. Um, so really good, uh, you know, fundamental sort of business practices implemented over the top. And the final point I think I'll make before I forget, everyone, if you're using ChatGPT, everything you write in that box and hit send to is open text available to the people at OpenAI to consume and understand and learn from. Because um, it's a research project. It's a research project. It's not a product. It's a research project. The same engine, if you hit it through the API with the right application framework in place, perfectly secure, not exposed in the same way. So just right there alone is a reason to not just roll out some front-end tool to, that's publicly available like this to your, to your brand or to your agency or your clients, but to actually put some mechanisms in place to use it properly. So what we've essentially been able to do is you know, our own flavored version of DAC-flavored AI for the entire agency ChatGPT without ever, ever touching ChatGPT directly. And that's given us a tremendous amount of power and centralized control. And So so to and summarize power. in terms of the so what's here, brand safety, check, speed to market, and not having to do the same thing over and over again, right. check. And the whole point of this in terms of providing businesses and brands with um, a competitive advantage, mm -hmm. not giving up that competitive advantage by feeding your competitors with your brand assets. Yeah, inadvertently letting something through that shouldn't go out into the wild uh, and, and become publicly available. There's a bit of a misnomer, I think, that people yeah, think yeah. the information that they're putting yeah, into the language model is going to be regurgitated. Yeah, I'm not 100% sure. That, that's sort of a, a watch this space. Just for everyone listening, people believing that information I put into ChatGPT is being used to train the model so it's going to show up yes, in the is. next oh, regurgitation. But no, <laughs> you are using it to not. train the model, yes, but it is not. you're not putting in an answer that it will later pick up and feed back to somebody else right. in their and chat. The, right, right. The, the training is done by the humans who are reviewing the exchanges and, and using it to do backpropagation and to, to, to help fine-tune the parameters in the model, but you're not giving it net new information, right? right? This is another big thing I think it's worth mentioning because a lot of people don't understand this either. Everyone talks about ChatGPT, how its training ended in September 2021, right? Mm -hmm. That's a date that you're familiar with. Everyone's been talking about yep. that. And they're like, well, that makes that means it's no good. It's, it's, it's out of date. And it's like, it, it wasn't it's not its purpose isn't to be the knowing oracle of all current and every piece of information the language model was trained to understand how to interpret and understand language and to understand context and to follow instructions so there was enough information in the world up to that date to do a very good job of that and now they're just refining weights and biases in the model parameters to make sure that it does an even better job now that we're hooking it up with the ability to search the indexable web for current information, that's when the superhuman horsepower comes to life. So don't worry about that September 21 date. That's simply the training date that's arbitrarily put to say, we, we haven't stopped speaking differently between then and now. Language is language is language. The way we communicate. Uh, uh, have you seen my kids? Yeah, yeah. I've seen them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not convinced. They're, not, they're not included in my uh, Venn diagram, <laughs> I think. But get that clear in your mind. The training is about a language model's ability to understand human communication. And then the information that it retrieves and processes and combines and assembles for you can be anything we want it to be. And that's what we're seeing with the convergence of LLMs and search now 
and what's exciting about the future. So you're clearly very excited about this moment. Absolutely. Man. And and going back to where we started, this whole idea of a hype cycle. Yeah. What could possibly trigger the trough of disillusionment? Well, there's a lot of regulation. Everybody should go to safe.ai and have a look at that. That's a real collaboration of like the leading minds. I mean, you know, we are, I'm just a consumer of this stuff. I, I know my place. And the people who are inventing and driving this space have really come together to talk about eight major threats in, that are present to humanity, essentially. Not to go back to the robots are going to kill us all, Jenna. Well, well, um, I mean, not to not go back <laughs> to that, but yep, sure, go ahead. Um, but eight, that, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big trough of disillusion. We right. all die. Right? But no, 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 I'm not actually not going to go there. I don't think that's the thing. I think these eight threats are very well articulated and logical, real material threats. And I don't think it's a trough of disillusionment as much as it might be just a little slowing of the rate of progression that we've seen. You know, Gemini will come out and be Gemini. I do think that the competition between OpenAI and Microsoft conglomerate and the Google conglomerate yeah. is setting aside some safety, sure underpinning is. safety protocols in the spirit of like being first to market with sure the next is. big thing. I think a lot of those people have come together on this safe.ai thing, which made me feel a little better about the fact that they've acknowledged these threats, they want to understand how the implication of those is going to affect the space and humanity, and they're looking to um, regulate it to a point which could actually slow things down a little bit and bring some clarity. That, that said, so the slowing things down is interesting because it's not normal that you see these tech giants calling for regulation. Right. And while I know that there is uh, a genuine and human and altruistic and societal benefit to doing that, and I'm in support of it, I'm yeah. sure it's completely a coincidence that greater regulation in a space where they are already the giants is going to slow down the chance of disruption of their businesses <laughs> right. by other players. Well, ironically, their fifth risk is called value lock-in which is one of the risks, is all the power will go to just a few yep. entities, of which they are. So I think there's some, like, there's a bit of uh, hypocrisy to some of this, but it, it, it's not wrong. You read this stuff, it's very logical that these are real things that could happen, and it behooves us all to kind of keep that in mind as we look for ways to improve business. Jenna, you saw how hard it was for me to get any kind of disillusionment out of Dan. So <laughs> I, I, I don't think I'm going to get any frustrates out of him as far as this uh, <laughs> this subject is concerned. So I'm going to turn to you, our, our ray of sunshine on the subject, and I'm going to ask you what frustrates you about this topic. I really only have one frustrate today to answer, and it is that I did not drive to this podcast recording on my Tron hot cycle, wooing all the people I drove by with my sexy flirty monocle. <laughs> that is my only frustrate. <laughs> well, hopefully we can correct all of that by the time we get the together future, again. The future is nigh. <laughs> yeah. The future is now. Yeah, there it absolutely. Is. So with that, thank you very much for listening in. And one thing that I want to um, I want to mention as we wrap up here today, we're going to be launching a a content series on this subject starting in the next few days. With this episode being the first one, and it's going to be running all summer um, on the subject of AI. But we're going to be diving into the specific applications of it. So, what are the implications and what you should be doing about AI in search? in media, in content, in creative, analytics. in analytics, mm -hmm. and so on. 
I, I wasn't going to forget you there, Dan. Don't <laughs> Just worry. making sure, bud. Absolutely. Sure. So, so watch out for that and uh, reach out to us if you have any questions. Obviously, this is a subject that we are wildly passionate about and already deeply invested in and putting a lot of time and energy behind. Um, but we are excited to share all that content with you. Um, and we are looking forward to the next episode of Inside the Funnel. But for today, thank you very much for listening in. And thank you from your hosts, Dan Tamby, Jenna Watson, and myself. Thank you for joining us on Inside the Funnel. You've been listening to Inside the Funnel with Jenna Watson, Dan Tamby, and Nasser Saloul. Until next time, don't forget to like, subscribe, and connect with the AC wherever you see us online.